3: Hello and welcome to this very special press edition of the No and Never podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bromley, and joining me this week from Lancashire Live, it's Alex James. From The Athletic, it's Andy Jones. And joining us by a special telephone link is from the Burnley Express, it's Chris Borden. Alex and Andy, welcome to the No Never podcast.
0: Hi, Natalie. Nice to see you again.
3: Yeah, you too, guys. Hi.
4: Hello. Thanks for having me on.
3: You're very welcome. So, it's the end of the season. We have decided that uh, we are going to, at some point, pull the Band-Aid off and have a analysis show of those last three post-Fulham games, which were painfully well, painfully predictable and ended in three defeats out of three, which was horrible, uh, with the Clarets finishing in 17th place, but surviving for a sixth consecutive season in the Premier League. Um, So what we wanted to do was get together some actual real-life journalists, some proper professionals, not like us crew who just played it every week, and get your proper thoughts on how this season has gone and what you think we need to do next. So this is going to be a what Burnley did and what Burnley do next. So let's dive straight in there. Alex, I'm going to start with you because you have been on the non and never podcast before. So let's give Andy a little bit of a lead-in so we don't just put him on the spot straight away. Um, I want you to kick us off by giving us your summary of this season. How has it gone? How do you paraphrase it all?
0: Yeah, um, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because you look at the league table and you think, well, that wasn't great. And you look at the last three games and it maybe has sucked a little bit of the um, relief or enthusiasm after that that Fulham result out. Um, But given everything that's gone on, given the lack of investment last summer, um, given the injury list, given the takeover and all that came with that behind the scenes, I think, as Sean Dyche says, I think you've got to be fairly happy to to have another season in the Premier League. Um, I think we all wanted a little bit more. We all felt like there was a little bit more in this Burnley squad, probably. Um, But overall, I think 17th, although the position isn't great. It was eleven points to to the bottom three. Um it is another season in the Premier League and hopefully it's now a chance for a a little bit of a reset and a little bit of um a building blocks to come in from from the new chairman and ALK to to build on what is a, a reasonable platform. I think if you look at Burnley's sort of first choice eleven, which probably hasn't been on the pitch together too many times this season, it is it is a decent Premier League eleven. It's just there isn't you know there isn't enough parts to to keep the wheels turning when when injuries strike.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really good point actually, and I and think that that's hardly a surprise, is it? That we're we're still talking about a small squad, and we're still talking about um, cover when it's needed. Um, Andy, you're relatively new to the Clarets family, but we're very very pleased to have you. By the way, obviously you are now an adopted Claret, given your uh, coverage for the Athletic of Burnley. Uh, is this your second season now? Was it your third? I can't remember how much time's gone. Um, do yes, you second? It is second, isn't it? Yeah, I thought it was. Um, Gosh, you're practically a pro now. You're family, Alex. Uh, Andy, oh God, this is going to get really confusing. I've got Alex and Andy. This is going to, I'm going to have to, you're just going to have to, I'm going to have to point at you both on the screen and say who's who. Um, Andy, do you (laughs) echo Alex's views there or do you think that maybe we should have expected more than just surviving this season?
4: I think it was very much mission accomplished in the end and I think when, I mean, I think I lost the number of times They sort of mentioned two points after seven games and I think that was when there was a real, those first sort of that first period was when that reassessment came and and that sort of the finishing 10th and sort of the run that they sort of ended the season on which was really positive, I think it was two defeats in 16 wasn't it, of the previous season I think there was a real reassessment and, and looking at the squad and, and, and just sort of thinking we just need to make sure that we're, we're here for next season and and sort of, and, and as Alex has said, the injuries, you know, piled up and continued to pile up. And you know, you, you thought maybe Benny would get through that period, and then they would, you know, be able to sort of, you know, move forward with a near to fully fit squad. But that never really happened. I think it was January. I think was the only time really, and that was literally for one or two games where there was a sort of a full squad to, to choose from, and, and the bench wasn't sort of littered with a, a number of youngsters who, mm. you know what. You know, it, it, there's a you know still a couple of steps for them to go to to be you know Premier League level. So, I think when you it sort of it was weird in that you want you went into the season expecting more than than what you came out of it with. But I think as Dice did after seven games, there was that reassessment of right. We we need to sort of shelve at all the you know the preseason plans probably and and just look at it as the situation we're in now. And um, and in the end, it was a, a pretty comfortable survival. It didn't feel it. But, um, but obviously there was that big gap in the end. But yeah, I think yeah. in the end, it was a case of just get to the end and make sure you know, you're not in that bottom three.
3: Yeah, and I think, I think Alex, that's a really good point that Andy's mentioned there in that you, you can look at it on paper and you realise you, you finished 17th. You didn't really want to finish 17th, albeit on the other hand, you'd probably snap somebody's hand off at the beginning of the season for 17th but you can't lose sight of that 11 point gap that was a massive gap and i'm not sure i can remember a season where the gap between 17th and 18th was as big as that so in other seasons that probably that you know an 11 point gap from um sorry 18th probably would have seen us maybe more 14th 15th i guess
0: yeah i was just thinking actually then when you were when you were talking i wonder when the last time if ever in the premier league there has been an 11 mm. point gap from 18th to to seventeenth, um, I can't think of one off the top of my head. And Andy's right in that those first seven games, although you know there was nothing stopping Burnley getting more points than two, they didn't have, they didn't have to lose five and draw two, um, but they did. <laughs> and it obviously, it, it isn't the starting point you want. Um, and it is you know it's fair enough for the managers to say we had to reassess after that and sort of reevaluate our goals a little bit. Um, and I think. The, the absence of Ben Mee and we might we might well come on to him again um later on. But he missed all of those seven games. I think Tarky missed two or three of them at the start and that cover simply wasn't there. Um Kevin Long and Jimmy yeah. Dunn I think they did okay, but they're not James Tarkovsky and Ben Mee. Um and you look at
3: no you look at the no. Premier League squad
0: <laughs> and there's probably well they're probably three, four, five bodies short anyway. And then there might be three or four in there who maybe wouldn't get into another Premier League team. Um and that's where we've we've got to look at trying to strengthen the squad this summer and that's where and I've done a piece today on it about ALK and Alan Pace and I've been pretty impressed with Alan Pace in terms of what he said so far. Um very proactive with with off the field stuff and he's made all the right noises in terms of what the window will hold. But now the window's here or, or nearly here and it's you know it's it's less talk, more action. Um and this is where we'll sort of really see
5: mm. see
0: where we're up to with ALK, and, and this is where they'll really be assessed. Because if if we're just going to go through the motions again and, and try and not get anybody in, well, we've we've been there before, haven't we? Over countless windows, I've lost count the number of times I've written saying this is a hugely important window for Burnley over the last two or three years. Three
3: hundred and fifty-six. It just
4: feels
0: like every window
3: has been Something like hugely that. important, <laughs> and
0: then nothing happens, and the
3: issues are the same, <laughs>
0: and the conversations with with Sean Dyche are the same, and. Um, Eventually, your luck runs out if you carry on like that, and and ALK are acutely aware of that. They haven't come into this thinking everything's in place and we can just jump on the bandwagon. They know there's a lot of hard work to do here, so I'll um, I'd like to I'd like to think they'd be sort of proactive in the transfer market and at least try and get a, a few more bodies in it, if nothing else, even if it is to. To big cover to start with
3: yeah definitely Andy I think one of the things that struck me listening to Alex then was I think a fully fit Burnley squad the the first choice 11 players that we would put out there are actually a really decent side and we can compete quite comfortably in the Premier League and shouldn't be anywhere near the bottom but what's always frustrated me I think about this is that we've consistently played the transfer lottery um, and the squad lottery, I think is probably more appropriate a word, for gosh, four or five seasons now where we've insisted on operating with the minimum number of players that we possibly can um, and just keeping our fingers crossed that nothing would happen. And if you look back, the season we finished in Europe, we were unbelievably lucky with injuries. We didn't get any in the entire season. or certainly none that kept players out for maybe one game, two at the most. Um, so thinking that ahead, um, it it just becomes, I think, a massive failure and questions legitimately being asked of our new board if we don't bring in those numbers in the summer.
4: Yeah, I think I think you're spot on. Um, the need to be bodies and Sean Dyche made that abundantly clear at the end of, of the summer window um, when he literally just said we're two or three short still. Um, and he, he, you know, he, he says that recruitment is is difficult, and it is because they're trying to find players who, you know, other teams can or in the past have been able to outbid outbid them for, if you like, and, and you don't really want to get into those sort of those transfer wars, if you like, because eventually the price can become become too high, um, and that's what you'd like to think ALK will be able to sort of to help with, and and sort of you know make Burnley more part of the conversation than sort of you know feeding off scraps, which is basically what they've you know they've they've had to do in, in, in previous windows. Um yeah no it, it is it is key. Um Dice is, is quite open in the fact that he wants two players in each position. Um and that's what he means when he refers to sort of the missing the number of bodies because they haven't got that and um you know you, you look at the centre off the obvious one where, where Jimmy Dunn's been asked to step up and he you know he's still very raw and and he shouldn't really. He's not really ready to be a 4th three so centre half yet, or part of that, you know, core. Um, he, he probably needs another loan move, really, to a championship mm. club or something like that. Um, and, and out wide as well is, you know, you, you, going into the season with sort of one winger who you can you can rely on. Really, it's it's just you know, it's it, it's not good enough, really. Um, and obviously, it's it's so frustrating, and I can't imagine how disappointing it is for for Robbie Brady and, and uh, John Bibb. Goodmanson for, for the injury struggles they've had over the last sort of two years but you know in the first two games they went into the season fifth. one picked up an injury in the first and then the second game Robbie, Robbie Brady picked up um, an injury so that that sort of showed that you know you have to they have to go into next season um, with that sort of squad number you know more than it than it has been and, and you would like to think and as sort of Alex said, in, in terms of what ALK have been saying that that is going to happen, but of course, um, we we will see.
3: Yeah, well, this feels like a very good moment to bring in um, Chris Borden from the Burnley Express on our live telephone link. And um, as you listeners will probably remember, um, just I think it was just after the January transfer, or certainly after the summer transfer when we had gone, Chris wrote um, a brutal but very honest reflection of um, the. Uh, i guess mike garlic regime and the perceived difficulties in the transfer window and he was very critical of the outgoing board um which was quite unusual i think for uh, and and forgive me you know we, we we see this a lot but local journalists don't always get the freedom and the opportunity to be able to write such an honest piece um and i was really pleased to see chris just saying you know what enough is enough now this is this is, in, you know, this is borderline negligence here. We've got to do something about this. So I'm going to bring Chris in now just to talk about ALK in general and what his hopes are for the next five years of Burnley. Chris, welcome to the None and Ever podcast. And let me take your mind back to a certain article that you wrote in your newspaper about the previous regime at the top I want to get your thoughts now on where you sit with the ALK takeover and how you deal with old versus new chairman. Please, just an easy one to start with. Yeah,
5: yeah, it's been a, it's been a, an interesting <laughs> people, so, and I wrote, I mean, I, f- I think people uh, get frustrated with the, the hierarchy at, at, at times, especially when uh, I think as, as fans probably you know, found found out for for their own for their own sakes that uh, you know the outgoing chairman. Yeah, you know, his, his communication in, in in his latter days as chairman, you know, he wasn't sort of relaying. No. You know, we well, we used to speak to him at the end of every season, and that sort of went by the by. And you know, we'd sort of uh, and we'd have a chat after yeah. the transfer windows, and uh, we just sort of we were just getting uh, you know just just no communication as regards you know the, the, the club's uh, club's viewpoints on how things were progressing. And, uh, obviously, if, if we remember, Bill Stevens came in, Will Norris came in. And it just wasn't anywhere near good enough. you know, boot, you no, know to, 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 boot to boost the squad, the numbers were down. You know, you, you lost no. Aaron Lennon. You, you know, I hadn't brought in a wide, you know, a wide player, knowing full well that Robbie Brady and uh, you no. uh, Goodman, you know, with their injury record, couldn't be relied we'll right have- upon to play a full season, and so it transpired. But uh, yeah, you, you sort of you. In and around that time of you know the chairman making office for players, you know you've got Mike so rig saying uh, you know have a look at these players from abroad were fantastic. You might you might have spotted a player that might be a real diamond, a, a real bargain. But if the managers only got X amount of pounds to spend, are you going to throw it all, lad? You've never clapped eyes on. You know it's it's a, no. it's a real gamble, and obviously you know, he went into when it went into the season. I think yeah. we all thought. This is the season where it finally catches Burnley. The, well, the manager's from did has, has pulled, pulled, pulled the rabbit out of the hat again, hasn't he? But,
3: yeah, I'm just saying one of the things well, we've hmm. just been talking about actually is is that it's been quite a weird season in that it's, it's been disappointing to finish 17th, but you can't lose sight of the fact that we were actually 11 points clear in the end. So that, in a normal Premier League season, would probably see you much further up the table than, than say, 17th. Um, but bearing that in mind, then you, how are you? How can you summarise the early stages of the ALK regime? You know, do, does things feel more positive? Do you have you got high hopes for the next five years?
5: Yeah, I think. I mean, I think they were they were they were quite positive and hoping to make an impact immediately in the transfer window, and said, well, it's, it's a bit harder than than we. Had. <laughs> trying to dive into this, Damn. and you're dealing with you know, with agents and, and clubs who might not want to sell, and this, that, and the other. And uh, yeah, I think they've uh, they've had a real lesson in uh, in, in, in the in the windows, but uh, yeah, just every, everything they've done so far, I think there's been a, a you know, been a bit of positive. You know, you're looking mm-hmm. at the um, you know, the yep. LED, I, like I think, is a, is a fantastic way to spruce up uh, spruce up turf more. You look, you know, the free tickets last week, which I. I think they did in the probably the fairest manner possible. You know, yeah. the only club, the only club, who offered a free ticket. You know, okay. bearing in mind Tottenham were charging sixty quid for for seats last week for a season that's blown up on them. But uh, yeah, you know, the, the the link up. I mean, I think Alan Pace was speaking to us in January when it was first unveiled, and yeah. I think people were sort of assuming the might I'm be some sort up of link up, and I won't be surprised if if that happens, but. Uh, I think they'll be looking to advance outside of this UK and Ireland sort of partnership initially, and maybe into, in, into Europe and beyond. And uh, you know, like you know, Matt Williams was basically saying last Wednesday when we spoke to him, it's uh, these partnerships are just the start. I just think they're a very, very good idea, really, to try and yeah, uh, you know get, yeah, bring 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 players in, let players out, like like, like people have been saying. If you know, if you're if get into you know, you can have you know young, young, young lads from the under twenty three going and playing Europa League football.
3: Exactly. Which is, you know, it's, it's not to be
5: sniffed at, really, is it? Yeah. No, and so,
3: I think it's what a bright,
5: lot of bright, lot of bright ideas, really, so far.
3: And I like the, I like the wider thinking. One of the things that I've been quite critical of of the club over previous years is that I, I love the community. Obviously, the community feels different, but I love the close knit um, idea of Burnley and it being run by fans. And... Been around forever but sometimes that can be quite restrictive in what you want to achieve in terms of going forward and I think bringing in somebody like Pace and ALK and just having that um, courage to try something completely different Um, and and I think you mentioned it the screens on the outside were to me were a a fantastic idea I know a lot of fans on social media just were sending just messages saying like oh this is this is torn deaf we need players not you know, screens, you think, well, <laughs> oh, hang on a minute. Those screens have the ability to raise much needed advertising revenue, which in turn yep. brings mm-hmm. funds into the club, which then buys players. It's like, think bigger, guys, think bigger. Um, so I, I guess, bearing that in mind then, Chris, we've obviously got a new chairman, things are starting to look up. The proof, of course, will be in the pudding in the summer with the transfers and what personnel he brings, to, to what he brings in probably putting you on the spot a little bit here so do take some time if you need it but I guess could you give me the top three things that you want this um, current ownership to achieve that isn't bringing new players in you're not allowed that one
5: oh, well, I, was well, I think well, we all want we all want Turf uh, more not, you know, not, not redevelopment improving you know,
3: modernising a little bit
5: uh, yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's before I uh, the then game at Bramble Bob. Lane yesterday it was on on Radio Lancashire. It's uh, the stands. You know, it, it'd be nice to see the cricket field and uh, and the Bob Lowe stand sort of revamped. That you know, we we we, we, we look at sort of twenty, you know, with You know, Paul Fletcher's uh, but I've been the you know, the, the, cin- the cinema in the <laughs> cricket field stand, and uh, you know where where it all stands with the, with the cricket club and what what mm-hmm. have you. I don't I don't know, but uh, it's. You know, they, they have to be next. You know, you, you yeah. look at the corporate, uh, the, you know, what, what they've done in the corporate. I've only I've seen, seen photographs of the corporate setup to be fair, but it looks. It looks I mean, amazing. I've got a major, well, I've got a, mate, well, a mate who, you know, he, he does work at uh, Old Trafford and and, and the Etihad yeah. and you know, if it doesn't clash with Burnley, and I'm very lucky, I, I get to go to. You know, the corporate setup once or twice season a season, maybe at these clubs, and uh, it doesn't look a million miles away from the sort of setup that City have had. It, you know, it's remarkable. But uh, and people will say, well, it's it's not very Burnley like, is it? And, and but uh, you know, it, like you say, you've done, you know, you're going to bring 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 yeah, bring business in. You know, bring more money into the club, and uh, you know, try and supplement what they what they're trying to do. But it looks it looks magnificent.
3: Yeah it does. Um, any others any other focuses that you want um, the the chairman to look at?
5: Yeah I'm mean, I've, I've uh, sort of one who's championed the women's football side of thing and they've already yes. gone down that road they've already gone down that yes. road so uh, I'm
3: so glad I've, you said that.
5: I mean it's remarkable really. I mean before I spoke you know we we, we spoke to Alan Payton in January I was just sent a message saying just ask him about the women's side of things. And uh, obviously, you know, the, one of the first things he was, uh, yeah, I want to, you know, we want to get in the championship and uh, and kick Gothenburg up. from and, there. And, uh, and, uh... It's, I mean, that's how I've been writing about Rachel Brown for well since oh, the mid the- nineties. Yeah, yeah, so she played in the you know the cup final when she was fifteen, and uh, you know, obviously got the England England women's game at the turf yeah. more and and things like that, and just to see the women's side of things, sort of uh, all, all all tied in together you know they can train they the, got their FA Cup ties and things it just you know can you imagine if Burnley get in the, you know, the WSL oh my god and, Don, uh, you know, I'd the, be the, so the excited. the boost for well like I say you know, the, the, you know, I've, I've taken my uh, my eldest oldest, two, uh, uh, in an Accrington Stanley's sports shop tonight uh, and there's, there's well it's two, two pictures full of footballers. girls footballers you know you're just thinking yeah. it's it's growing exponentially and you know you need to be able to uh, Sort of get that side of things, you know. International football—you see all these Americans coming over to to play for yeah. Spurs and you know who, who knows, who knows down the line that might be uh, definitely might be something. Yeah,
3: yeah. Since the World Cup, since the massive success of the Women's World Cup, um, I've been itching to try and and, and get something at, at turf to see what we could do in terms of progressing the women. And like you say, we do so much for communities and the schools, and having. Um, a successful female academy is just going to be that missing link, so that the, the kids in school they're not just looking at the the lads who can go and train at Burnley and have a potential path to success at the club. The girls can as well, and I think that's massively yeah. important. Um, can can we maybe suggest then a, a number three, uh, probably securing Dash for the next five years? How important well, that, is that? To I'd like. You? That, well,
5: oh, good grief! I, I just think the entire. The entire thing stands or falls with the manager. I just think yeah, the culture, is, the, the culture is built, the whole DNA of the club. Now, you know, is the infrastructure. You know, you walk through the training ground. Which, you know, I know some fans won't have had the uh, the privilege of doing, but I know some have, and all these little sayings are sort of jotted about the place. And it's if he if he was ever to go, I mean, like, whew, <laughs> you, you want someone who. For me, who understands the culture, who could come, come in? in. I'm, I'm not. I'm not suggesting you know straight away like oh, it's a Michael Duff or a, a Joey Barton or someone like that. But just someone who you know, someone who knows the that you know the culture and what he's built and you know how, how how he goes about things.
3: Absolutely, long live Sean Dyche at Burnley. It's a partnership made in heaven, and we hope it stays forever joining us live this evening on our television, television? No, telephone link Um, and we will speak to you later on to get your views ahead of the coming season Um, you can follow Chris on Twitter and you can see his work in the Burnley Express listeners, do check him out So Alex, Andy back to you, we've just heard from Chris about the ALK takeover and his general hopes for the next chapter of Burnley's illustrious history, shall we say. Um, in terms of players, what's your shopping list? And let's start with you, Alex, because obviously we've, we've, it's pretty clear we've established that we're going to go with A, we need to invest in the first team. That's, that's pretty obvious. But I, I would still argue that there's some positions and some players that aren't maybe as fundamental as others. So Alex, if you're given the brief that we can bring in five players. What's your priority in terms of positions?
0: Wide midfield, 100%. Um, possibly even two wide midfielders. Possibly even three wide midfielders, but certainly, certainly more. Both sides? Um, yeah, I do think both sides because I, I think Dwight, Dwight McNeil, I, I love Dwight McNeil, but he has looked shattered for the last half a dozen games of this season, which isn't a great surprise because he's 21 years old. He's still developing as a as a player and a person. And he's been asked to play week in, week out for sort of two seasons back to back. And I do think that having a, an extra bit of competition there would help. And certainly something on the right-hand side. I think Josh Brownell can do a job there, but he's he's miles better in the middle. Um, so I think that's that job number one. As Andy mentioned before, another centre-half um, is crucial. I'd like to see a, another striker um, signed as well. I know there's four, and I know you could look at that on paper and think, well, that's one area of the squad where there is two players for each position. But I just think a, another, perhaps young striker who could develop into a Premier League player uh, and put a bit of pressure on on the four that are already there would be would be welcome. Um, I mean, you could you could make a case that. Burnley are in need of either a starting 11 player or a player who can develop over the next 12, 18 months into a starting 11 player in pretty mm. much every position. Um, oh, wow. There's, <laughs> well, there's, there's seven or eight players out of contract next season. You look at, you know, a Phil at the end of, you know, 2022, a Phil Bardsley and Eric Peters, these kind of players who they're not going to be around for. Forever, no. even maybe Ashley Barnes and, and people like that, um, who are sort of coming towards the end of their their Premier League careers. And if if two or three arrive this summer, but then seven or eight of those guys leave next summer, well we're we're one step forward for two steps back, yeah. aren't we? So there's there's gotta be that um and Billy's done it really well. We think of Tarky and Nick Pope and a lot of players who came in who had to wait for their chance, but when called upon we're we're ready and it it doesn't quite feel like we've got that at the minute, um, so I think that's the. Yeah, that's I mean, that's true. you know, that's the biggest test for, as Andy said before, and as Sean Dyche has said, recruitment is is really hard, um, and it's really hard to get players to fit into Burnie's wage structure. Uh, it's really hard for Burnie to outbid the likes of a, I don't know, an Aston Villa or teams that you might see in in or that Brentford. <laughs> yeah, in that tenth, well, in Any that tenth, to, a club. <laughs> in that tenth to sort of sixteenth mid-table bracket.
3: Yeah, sure. I
0: think what's Bernie's club record fee? Fifteen million, and that must be yeah. the lowest club record fee in the Premier League, I would imagine, or if not the lowest, then then close to being the lowest. So, yeah, yeah there we go. Every position, and
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank goodness. Alex's <laughs> wish list is every single position. You know, we don't ask for much as Burnley fans, do we? Um, Andy, I think <laughs> I think we we know then that's a pretty good summary of, of of where we where we go from here. Um, I guess i changing changing uh, the focus of the question just slightly, and I'm going to I'm going to not allow you, Nick Pope or James Tarkovsky, in this answer. Number one, because Pope is an obvious one, but Tark is probably not going to be here next season. So based on the current squad at the moment and based on their performances this season, which three players are your, like they're the first names on the team sheet next season, irrespective of their age? Who are we Who are we building a side around?
4: Oh God. Um, <laughs> that, that's some question, that. No, um, okay. Could you... Because you can go, you can go loads of different ways with it in terms of who are yeah. your reliable performance, i.e., a Ben Me and Ashley Westwood, a Chris Wood, who are sort of towards the the thirties, past thirties, mm-hmm. or do you go Josh Brownhill, Dwight McNeil, um, that type of way in, in terms of the younger players, and, and maybe a, you know a Vidzor, um, or Charlie Taylor, for example, you know that sort of yeah. younger core that barely need to really build upon as going forward because as Alex said, there's there's so many players sort of coming up to the end of the deals and sort of going past 30. And I know players don't sort of fall off a cliff when they get to 30, but that's when you sort of need to start thinking, right, who's the next one, you know, along the, the conveyor belt if you like to come in and replace them like, like Burnley have done with with people in the past. So over that that is a difficult one. I think you would want you would want Ben Me to stay there as, as captain um yep. i think Agreed. josh Brownhill has shown a lot um sort of since he's come into the club in terms of adapting into to a Burnley midfield and sort of being that that younger of of the of the four that they've got um and then it's a, it's a toss up between mcneil and wood because wood guarantees your goals um even this season when it looked like you know you might not even get near to double figures and then he, you know makes everyone look Quite silly and goes eight and eight. And <laughs> <laughs> it made me look silly when I sort of did the question him about it um, at one point, just after, just before he got injured, I think it was. Um, and and then you you sort of, but then McNeil is someone who you know would be in in Burnley's team for you know the next ten years, um, and and someone who, while playing on the left at the moment, has, has spoken openly about wanting to move into sort of a more central role and. And uh, you you can see his influence on games and and when he sort of he does get a rest, which you know hopefully he will this summer um, and and sort of come back fresh. So oof, I think I'd probably go McNeil on the side. of He will give you if you don't sell him. You, you know you, you're going to get 10, 10 years out of him. Um, you know he's he's got so much so much more to give. Um, and sure. I, I mean, Burnley just have to go out and buy someone who can score ten goals a <laughs>
3: yeah it's literally as easy as that we'll get we'll add it to alex's shopping <laughs> list of every single position you know I, this is easy i don't know why we're not in charge of burnley this is just you know why why is this taking so long to get to this stage it's it's easy easy game uh, it's this is like the monopoly version of of how to run burnley football club um do you think <laughs> bearing that in mind then alex do you think we Given the the numbers that we want to bring in, and given the, the the core players that we want to build, certainly in the short term, maybe the next the next two to three years, do we insist on sticking with the four four two tried and tested, or do we start to look more at getting some bodies in midfield and playing more progressive football and more modern approach? Um, I'm always really torn, really, as to what which of those systems is going to produce us more goals because i think ultimately our premier league survival for the next five years is going to it's going to depend on us being able to create more chances and open up a little bit more so what do you do do you stick four five one or do you try sorry do you stick four four two or do you start trying more four five one
0: yeah it was interesting actually wasn't it that we went four five one against sheffield united when Mm. um it's sort of everybody did me included like. everybody me included thought, well, this'll be back to 4-4-2, 4-5-1s for games against the Liverpool or a Man United.
3: Um which worked very well up for the Liverpool game. When actually. I asked Sean Dyche oh. about it afterwards,
0: he, he did make the point that he wanted to try it against a team who are at the other end of the table. Um and he wanted to see how, how Burnley coped with that and, and what sort of questions Burnley asked. Um for me, I think Chris Wood thrives on Dwight McNeil crosses and if you're going to play Dwight McNeil on the left you have to play Chris Wood up front um there's no point putting Dwight in the hole in behind Chris Wood in my opinion I just don't see that as a as getting the best out of that combination um and if you'd have asked me this question three months ago I probably would have said mix it up but I've been so impressed with Wood and Vidra together I just think they've looked I just think Burnley are a better oh, team with Vidra in it. I think you, you spoke about creating chances there. Vidra creates loads of chances. In fact, he probably should have scored twice as many goals as he has. I think he's, he's, he probably isn't clinical yeah, enough true. at the moment. But having said that, how many games in a row has he started in his Burnley career? Probably only six or seven in a row, if that. Um, and all of those have come in the last six weeks of this season. So with the squad as it is, I think you've got to stick with four four two, Have Wood and Vidra as your first choice. Strike pair. Leave McNeil on the left. Try and bring in a right-sided winger with a bit of pace, ideally, and a bit of creativity. Someone who can unlock a defence because um, there's a little bit too much reliance on mm-hmm. um, either Dwight beating a man and getting a ball in or Ashley Westwood trying to find a pass. Um, that's how I would approach it.
5: Yeah, with, I agree
0: the players that, that Burnley have at the moment. And I think Brownhill and, and Westwood is a pretty solid central midfield pairing. I think Jack Cork's a decent third option there. And I think the first choice back four is is pretty good as well. If you go Tar- Tarky and me, Charlie Taylor, Matt Loughton, and, mm. and obviously Nick Pope and goal. I don't see that as a bad 11 at all. I think that's a, a more than capable 11. Um, I just think it needs a couple of extra options in there and then a succession plan for, as you said, for the next 18 months, two years so that we're not left in this position of sort of 18, 19 contracted players again.
3: Yeah. Obviously, the, the, the difficulty with that is that I think everybody expects that Tarki will go in the summer. Um,
4: yeah, I'm not Depending sure, on money, of
3: course. There. It's it, it. You know, I think some of the figures... Oh, really? Okay. On what on what grounds do you think this is just there's a change of financial landscape across the Premier League or is it something else?
0: I think a little bit, yeah. And I think, I think there's an element of Burnley valuing Tarkovsky and what he can provide them in terms of staying up. If I don't know, let's say Burnley had a bid of 15 to 20 million for Tarkovsky and I'm not sure I can see anybody paying more than that for a player in the last year of his contract Mm. um, in a a pandemic environment. Do Burnley take 15 million and maybe get I don't know, what do you get for 15 million? Probably not much. Um, You might get one like-for-like replacement at yeah. the back? Or do they think Tarkovsky is worth £100 million to us in the sense that our team with Tarkovsky in it, as we've seen this season, can help us achieve Premier League safety? And if we go and sign a, um, I don't know, a Harry Sousa from Stoke, who might be 12, 18 months away from being a, a Premier League-ready footballer, I mean, he might well be that now, but if you go and sign him for £10 million, and you can use him as third choice centre back next season, for yeah. example. And then if Tarkovsky does go on a free, and you've stayed in the Premier League, you probably, from Bernie's point of view, you're probably better off. And from from the player's point of view, arguably he gets a better—I don't know—he might get more chance of going to a Man United, for example, as a free agent than he will for fifteen million this summer, but. Who knows? We'll see. It's, it's a tricky dilemma, that one, isn't it? I don't know what, what you guys think. Really. Yeah,
3: I completely agree. And I think, um, Andy, one of the, the biggest challenges that Burnley are going to face is that Taki wants to go. That's that's the problem. And and we've seen it countless times across football that when the player decides that he wants to go, it doesn't really matter whether you want to keep holding him or not, he will find a way to go. Um, and I think... I guess what's probably going in our favour in that he didn't get the move he wanted last summer. So he's definitely not going to the Euros. So his next shot at international football is going to be the World Cup in two years' time. So even if he stays at Burnley for one more year and then moves, he's still got an entire season to then impress Southgate or whoever the England manager is then. Um, I I still think he'll go this season if somebody pays for him or pays what we want to. Um, I think... What worries me fundamentally, Andy, is is breaking up that Holy Trinity. Nick Pope's got a phenomenal following. People rate him very highly. People will come in for him. For some reason, people don't ever want to come in for Ben Mee, which I just find incredible. Tarky's always indicated he wants to go. If we sell any of those three players, we've seen how poor we are defensively. Do you think it's justified as fans to be... To, to be in Camp Alex and say actually we have to put our foot down here and say no you you can't go because otherwise we're just probably going to get relegated next year.
4: I think so, yeah. I think it's it's the, the from a fan perspective, I think it's the most sensible thing to sort of keep them together and and sort of like Alex was saying, if if you do keep Tarky for another year, you've got the chance to someone to recruit a younger centre back, very much like they did with Michael Keane and Tarkovsky, you know, a couple of years ago to. To sort of bring that that younger player in and, and sort of have him learn, learn the system, learn what you know the distances and the yardage and all the stuff that Dice, you know drills into his players, so that when Taki does leave you know, at the end of his contract, if if he doesn't go this summer, um, and I also think it's it's quite likely Burnley are going to keep him because um, I just I just same as Alex, I just think the value of staying in the Premier League is much more than than sort of a 15, 20, 20 million. Um, and, yeah. and therefore it makes, it's a no brainer for me to, to sort of keep them and, and keep those those three together because that's the foundation. That's sort of everything that, that Burnley's been built on um, sort of over the last couple of years and, and when they're all together, that's when Burnley are at the best and when one's missing, um, you know, that it makes a huge difference. And I think it's I think it's the same with Pope. I mean, I think what what works in your, in, in in Burnley's favour in, in terms of is there's not many top clubs looking for goalkeepers at the moment. A lot of sort of got positions filled. I think Tottenham and sort of Lorry's future, if he does go, for example, is probably the only one. Um and then it's it's about matching matching Burnley's valuation. But Nick Poe's proven himself to be one of the best in the Premier League. He's did it last season, done it again this season. Um I mean you just need to look at the score when he's not played for Burnley this season. I think it's six games and it's it's 2 to the to the opposition and of course, there's, there's factors of that, of, of who they've played, City away, uh, United away, they're, they're not easy games and, and stuff like that. But you just look at that and you just instantly see the difference of when Pope's there and when Pope's not.
5: Yeah, um,
4: and, and he, he is he's sort of invaluable. Um, and he's someone you can't really afford to lose. And, and I mean, looking at Pe- Peacock Farrell, Bernie had been really pleased with his development behind the scenes. But just from watching him, he doesn't quite look ready yet. And therefore... It's it's a it's a similar situation to Tarky that if you if you are going to sell him, the majority of the money you bring in for him is going to go on a player to replace Pope. So whether that be a you know an Aaron Ramsdale for example, um, so you are sort of in that dilemma. But equally, I think Premier League status is, is the most important thing, and, and you've got to make sure, especially for short term, that those three sort of stick together. Um, and and it would it would take you know a massive offer, I think, for for Burnley to even sort of. Sort of think about. It.
0: I guess the advantage with Pope as well is he's under a a longer contract, isn't he? And as Andy says, you're looking at maybe who can afford to pay thirty million plus for a for a goalkeeper, and you probably end up with Spurs. And I'm just not sure. From what I understand, I'm not sure Pope at 29 fits Spurs' model of spending that yeah. much on a goalkeeper of that age, particularly this summer as well. Um, Although they might they might be able to afford it if they carry on charging sixty quid for see uh, for tickets to the uh, to the games, but I just don't I don't see again similar with Tatar. I don't see somebody coming in with a an offer that would tempt Burnley for, to sell Pope. No, I, agree. I, just, I can't yeah. see that happening this summer. And Burnley's got the added security that he's under contract until twenty twenty three. I think with an option as well on top of that. So
3: yeah, I think you're right.
0: And the other thing of play in all of this is the manager's contract, which runs out next year. So that if if you get that sorted, then that provides you with such a solid platform and you you get somebody like Ben Me probably signs on another two years and all all of it can kind of centre around around the manager because he's built such a culture there and he's got these players following him through brick wall after brick wall that a lot of the decisions can sort of domino effect from from securing the manager. So if I if I was trying to do one thing this summer it would be to get Sean Dyche to sign a new contract.
3: Yeah, that has that has to be number one on the list and I'm pretty sure Alan Pace knows that. Um and it just to flick back to you for a second. Alex's comment there and reminder about um the cheek of Spurs charging their fans um 60 quid a ticket for that one just reminded me um just about how much I hate Spurs anyway at the moment but one of the reasons why I hate Spurs is of course <laughs> the ESL debacle Um what was it like just very very quickly off topic of Burnley what was it like reporting through that crazy 48 hour period of, of the ESL launch and collapse that must have been just the weirdest time
4: yeah it was it was mental because um, I mean it was sort of because we have a, a reporter covering every club and you sort of just all gathering information and you you're hearing different things from, from and obviously the, the the clubs who had decided on this, you know, stupid idea, um, were were a lot busier than, than us. But I you know, I thought Bernie's sort of response and the statement from from Alan Pace was, you know, was excellent, um just in terms of... he you know, he's, he's only been in the game for, for a couple of months, but to sort of be so strong on it and have, you know, views that made sense and, and a lot of people sort of agreed with. Um, sort of shows you know what he, how he how he thinks. Um, yeah, it was it was bizarre and it was it was it was just surreal because you just sort of dropped everything that you were doing, and it was like, oh my yeah. god, now we've got to do the, the entire focus is on this, and and then equally, within as you say, forty eight hours, you know, it was it was gone. Um, so it was just very bizarre, and then it was it was interesting sort of the fallout afterwards, and sort of just to sort of see. I mean, for me, you sort of only you know, young in the journalism you know sector, I guess, and and this is my first job, and as you said, only two years in, it was the first like real massive story that to sort of sink your teeth into, if you like, and and sort of see how everything works, and and you know, speaking to to many different people about many different things about it, um, so it was interesting from that point of view as well, but yeah, it was just um, bizarre, and thankfully, um, you know gone uh, as quickly as it came
3: mm, definitely um right well i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap up this this episode i could literally talk to you two all night um i've got a list of questions i've never asked you so maybe we might actually get you back on in the summer actually and we'll check in and see um how it's going because i've got so much more i could speak to you both about um but the our sequel. listeners li- yeah, the sequel press press two um <laughs> yeah. yeah press tour two we've uh yeah it's just literally our listeners um yeah they'll be here all weekend if we don't wrap it up so i want to finish off very very quickly um regular listeners will know that at the end of each season the none and ever podcast does the alternative end of season awards we're going to give you a little preview not by giving you all the answers but we're going to ask um andy and alex to nominate what they think their answers would be to a couple of the questions that we've put out there do make sure you head to our twitter page and join the poll because i think we're closing that on I want to say Thursday, but producer Matt's now going to absolutely kill me for getting that wrong. Um, But certainly before we record the awards ceremony, um, so do head over there if you want to have a look. Oh, God, I've just had an awful thought. What if this goes out after the awards ceremony? Oops. In which case, listeners, I apologise. You've missed it, but it was very good fun. Um, So, first question to you, Alex. Who is your unsung hero of the season? Uh,
0: Do you know what? I've been thinking about this since you ask the question at the start <laughs> because I'm not sure an obvious name springs springs to mind i think um if i had to if i had to pick one i'm tempted to go for um louts matt loughton i just think oh. he's if if you were looking at most improved player, which i realize is a different question um just think he's come on a lot this season and i think there was a bit of sort of uncertainty as to whether he was going to still be a Burnie regular whether he was sort of up to up to scratch in the Premier League and in the main I think he's done he's done really well this term um, mm. I think from an attacking point of view he provides something that Burnley don't have uh, the ability to to knock a sort of 40 50 yard crossfield passing I think it was that was it the Fulham game where he, he sent a, a he he, uh, he block challenge somebody in his own mm-hmm. half and then with his next touch Knocked a fifty-yard raking pass over the top, and, and Bernie scored in <laughs> yes. the biggest game of the season, probably. Um, and I just think he's done he's done really well. I could probably you could probably make a case for Vidra as well in terms of the impact mm-hmm. that that he's done, and potentially Brownhill. Although I don't think Brownhill is I'm not sure he comes under unsung because I think a lot of people do appreciate what he does. Yeah, bring, I would agree with um, that. To,
3: to Alex, so, you can't just name the whole. I'm probably going to stick with, uh, and, and
0: you're Hall. probably. No, I'm, I'm. I'm going to stick with. I was covering my bases there, wasn't I? But I am going to stick with um, Matt Lighton. And now you're probably going to tell me that he's not even. He's probably not even in your shortlist. Is that what you're going to tell me now? So
3: I'm not. Ta- I'm not giving away any spoilers right now. And this is this is your nomination, Alex. You don't need to be guided by us. It's your nomination. Um, no, I like it. Lawton's a good. Lawton's a good shout. Um, Alex, same question to you. Who's your unsung hero? Andy. <laughs> um. And it, oh god! Alex, hey, I did well.
4: I did well. <laughs> <laughs> you did, you did. Um, Loutz is a really good shout. I agree. I think he's been he's he's been you know really good this season and, and cemented this place. Um, as much as I'd like to give it to sort of Eric Peters for playing everywhere, barring goal, and mainly just for his mad twenty minute cameo <laughs> against Arsenal in the, in the home game because it was just so bizarre. <laughs> um, I think I'd go for Vitz. Um, I think just because. The impact he had, sort of, and he he was sort of the the unsung hero in terms of everything he did off the ball and sort of his holder plays has come on phenomenally. Um, Just in terms of his Mm. ability to win aerial battles, use his body, used to just get thrown off the ball, and you think, oh, you know, don't put it up, you know, for an aerial chance with it because he's not going to win it. But he's worked on it so much, and you can see. And and even though Wood got the goals and, and sort of the eight and eight, and you know, was just you know but unstoppable really um a lot of that comes down to Vidra and, and sort of that partnership and and just making them them click and he began to press a lot better as well and and that was helped by sort of Vidra's energy and you know he brings a bit dif- something a bit different to the other three in terms of his channel running and you know the bit of pace that he's got and um and you could see him just growing confidence and I think he is a confidence player and and sort of when he, he what well, he was getting that sort of run of games um, up until recently you could just see that sort of coursing through him, and he was trying more things, and you know even stuff against Fulham where he was just taking players on in the box, and I think that's how he sets up Westwood for the for the, for the first thing, isn't it? So, yeah, I think I'd, I'd go for Vids. Both
3: excellent answers,
4: and I wholeheartedly approve.
3: Uh, final one, then, Alex, back to you. What item are you glad to see the back of from this last season?
0: Um, well, empty seats. I just want. I think we we spoke briefly about moment of the season, didn't we? And that moment of the season for me was the supporters has been back in, um, and that uh, well, just seeing seeing supporters back in for one, hearing supporters for another, and just walking, sort of walking down Harry Potter's way and being in the the you know the throes of a match day experience, which you can't replicate and I, I can't imagine. There's been too many people, and we're very very privileged to be able to sit in there sit in the stadiums and report on on Burnley week in, week out. But it's nowhere near as enjoyable without fans being there. Um, And the players must think the same. The management must think the same. And obviously the fans who uh, travel up and down the country and um, follow Burnley week in, week out are stuck watching it at daft kickoff times with, you know, uh, on on BT or on Sky or or whatever. Um, Sitting there probably thinking, well, I just wanna be yeah. there. <laughs> Don't want to be sat in my living room watching watching this. I wanna be at the ground. Um so I just I just hope that we're in a position come the start of next season to be somewhere near full capacity, if not full capacity. Um because I think it'll just make a massive, massive difference. And I'm sure it'll have a big impact on Peony's home form as well, to be honest.
3: Yeah, definitely. That was one of the questions I wanted to talk about. So we'll we'll do that in, in Press Tour 2. Um, Andy, final final point from you then. Yes. Is there anything other than empty seats and stadiums that you're quite glad to see the back of? Um, this might be a slightly different question for you guys, actually. Because you, you were actually at the grounds, whereas we've got things like... Every single time somebody on Sky said we apologize for any bad language that you heard drive me insane. Um, so apologies if this is a tough question, but
4: go ahead. Yeah, no, I, that also really annoys me. Um I always point it out when someone says it and go, Why why did he apologise every time? Um it's difficult to think of a different one, so Alex, to be honest, because that raw um when the players came out, I think you were speaking about it earlier, was just it was special. Um and it's just so so mm-hmm. missed. Um, and it, it does make the impact because you, you saw Bernie's first half performance against Liverpool and and they were they were buoyed by the crowd um and it, it just makes such a difference even and it and Alex is right it, it does make it more enjoyable when for us and as he said we are very privileged to be there but just to reporting on games even just when some you know fella just stands up and shouts something of mad at a player that's just quite funny <laughs> um just stuff like that that you just miss um in a, in games and. It just adds that, that colour and, and that energy to, to games and because you is momentum's massive in footy and cards are so important for that. Um I think I'm just glad to see and, and have a break from VAR, to be honest. Um I just I can't be bothered with it anymore. Um, I know it'll be back and mean, know we haven't seen the back of it, but hopefully, um I would like to think that they'll use the the off season to sort of properly reassess it and sort of have a have a proper think and sort of um, about how to use it better, you know, in a better way, and, and how they can make decisions more, you know, consistent, and, and you know what is offside and what isn't offside, and just to just to have a break from that, and sort of hopefully, you know, the you know, whoever's in charge um, can get their heads together and you know set out some you know better guidelines, more clear guidelines um, The referees know you know how to follow and, and can follow more consistently, um, and then you know the game's going to be. Much better for it, I would like to think.
0: Linesman flagging 10 seconds after the offside decision as well. Yes, that's one of
4: them. Oh, God, (laughs) yeah. I cannot.
3: Mm. I
0: know know why it's in, but I think there's been a couple of times where I've thought, oh, there's going to be an injury here or someone's going to pull a hamstring chasing the ball that we all know has gone to a player who's five yards offside and yet we're going to see how this phase of play works out. And then from the attacking point of view, you think, oh, perhaps he wasn't offside, we're in here. And then, oh know the flag's gone up now. Was, that drives me up the wall, that yes, Yeah,
3: rule. it's a nonsense. <laughs> I've got to say, though, the, the ridiculous offside rulings and decisions and the whole just way that it's managed has given my feminist an absolute perfect answer when any dinosaur still asks me, whether I know what the offside rule is because I'm a girl, saying that mate, nobody knows what the offside rule is anymore. So <laughs> you, know, you can't really pin that at me anymore. Yeah, you can't. Explain like, it you know what the offside rule is pub
2: anymore?
3: <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> definitely not. No, you can't. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely I mean, done. Well, gentlemen, this has been an absolute pleasure. We've really, really enjoyed having you both on. Uh, before we wrap up for the night, um, starting with you, Andy, can you let our listeners know how they follow you and how they interact with you when we do get back up and running next season?
4: Yeah, so uh, all my work will be on The Athletic and you can follow me on my Twitter, uh, AD Jones underscore journal. Excellent. And you too, Alex, please?
0: Yeah, um, so all my work will be on Lanks Live. Uh, my Twitter handle's Alex James Sports, And um, if you've got nothing better to do after games, I'm always doing a Facebook Live to have a chat about how things went or how things didn't go. Um, usually at the moment from a freezing car park in my car at one o'clock in the morning but hopefully uh it'll be in a press room at some point and yeah always welcome um interactions and stuff on on social media so pop along and, and say hello and tell me what i'm doing wrong or or maybe even what i'm doing right
3: Excellent. Yeah, do take advantage listeners. We've got, uh, we're so spoilt uh, as Burnley fans for having such a fantastic group of local journalists who cover all Claret's things. Um, so, you know, they are the professionals. They're the ones that write better than we do and talk better than we do. And, you know, do do interact with them because their content's fantastic and just really gives you a really good insight into everything that's happening at the club. And, and they, get, it's, they set off some really good debates as well. So do follow them. Um, I uh, normally at this point in the podcast, I tell you what's coming up, but um, I genuinely don't know when we are airing this. So you're either going to get this followed by an analysis show with the wider team as to what happened in those um, three games post Fulham, or you're going to get an end of season awards, or it's going to be a quiz. I genuinely don't know. You know, stay tuned to social media listeners. We like to keep you in the dark and tease you a little bit. Uh, my thanks go to everybody who has contributed to this podcast. Of course, Alex, Chris and Andy for their input to produce a Matt for knitting all of this together and getting it out there. To Pand Joyce for our music that they kindly donate to us every week. But to you, the listener, for downloading and listening to this episode, your support is very much appreciated and we would not be here without you. This has been the press edition of the None and Never podcast. I've been Natalie Bromley. Until next time.